Hi, HR Nation. It's Chris Rainey. Welcome to HR Leaders, the show where we interview today's most successful and innovative HR practitioners five days a week. Uh, today's guest is Irma Horvath. Irma is the Managing Director of Maria Training. Um, Irma, welcome to the show. How are Hi, you? Hi, Chris. Thank you very well. And you? I'm really good. Thanks for joining us. Um, Irma, fill in the gaps. Tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself um, and your journey to becoming the Managing Director of uh, Maria Training. When I first kind of, when I went to university, I remember distinctly there was one afternoon when I went home and I told my parents that I'm really worried that I'm not good at anything. Um, and that's when they set me down and they asked me questions. That was very much actually solution-focused coaching, unbeknownst <laughs> to them. And they asked me about my, my resources. What, what are the things that I like doing? What are the things I'm good at? And it turned out, and I'm not good at content, but I'm good at teaching. I seem to be the expert of the process rather than the content. And I thought, oh, that's something I can work with. Um, when I was 16, um, I was um, selected to be part of um, kind of a, a youth talent management program where an American company that specialized in um, community building and experiential education selected a few people from all over Europe and actually all over the world. Um, and they started training them in communication and leadership and soft skills training with the hope that they would train the next generation in their country and then they would train the next generation as well. And that had a huge impact on me. I walked out of every session feeling that I was full of energy, like I was ready to take, take it all on. Um, and that experience was so crucial that I haven't managed to kind of walk away from that. Uh, I've done a lot of things, everything related to education. Even when I worked for a multinational company as a brand manager, I immediately found myself you know, gravitating towards the educational department and I started leading it. Uh, but the biggest pivot was when I uh, completed my teacher training and started traveling the world. I felt that becoming a teacher was a huge kind of potential and I loved working with children but I've always been most comfortable with adult education and I wanted to become the best teacher that I can possibly be so I, I devoted a year of my life um, of completing a Cambridge diploma where for a year they take apart every single thing that you do and they make you question all the choices you make as a, as a development and, and learning specialist and I took that on with me. I worked at, um, in northern Spain and I trained teachers. I worked at Newcastle University and Leicester University, again, training and, and um, nurturing teachers, teaching them methodology. But I think one of the biggest adventures was going to Malaysia for three and a half years, where I had the pleasure of working with uh, the British Council and the Ministry of Education uh, in Malaysia. And on the project, in the lifespan of it, we trained 14,000 teachers. And I was personally responsible for recruiting, developing and um, inducting, and then kind of accompanying That's all pretty the intense. <laughs> teachers <laughs> and, and trainers and, and senior trainers. Um, and it was a, a vast project because we were in all 13 states of Malaysia. So I, I had to manage people remotely. They even had one instance where uh, I got a phone call in the middle of the night and they told us that there was a pirate attack and we had to evacuate all the stuff. So talk about kind of HR wow. situations where there is a lot of pressure. Yeah. Can't get um, much more pressure than that. <laughs> I worked briefly in Kazakhstan, Denmark and Dubai, just to give you all the extremes going from plus 40 degrees to minus 35. Um, and then I came home and 
I wanted to do something that really scared me. And something that really scared me was starting my own company. I looked around and I was curious what people do when, called development or what services were provided in training. And I was bitterly dis disappointed when, when having discussions with people because they had no idea why they were doing that certain trendy buzzword or why they were choosing a methodology or a philosophy. There, there seemed to be no philosophy behind some of the, the choices that people were making. And then that, that's when my mission was born. I wanted to educate HR. I wanted to disrupt training and development. I wanted to provide an alternative where it's not technology, but going back to the basics and human interaction. And I wanted to give people back the power um, over their choices. I wanted to raise awareness and shift perspectives for better work and life choices. And this is what I've been doing ever since. And it's been a hell of a journey. Uh, we've had the pleasure of working with companies from Heineken to Bayer, big pharmaceutical company, uh, but also helping uh, teachers in need, um, tucked away in the countryside, working with children um, who have nothing, literally nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a very wide spectrum, but the mission is still the same, to educate people and to give them the choice to decide how they want to develop their people. Fantastic. Well, truly uh, uh, inspiring journey. And I can uh, feel the energy coming off of you, which is fantastic, <laughs> right? You know, that's what gets you up every morning and, 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 and uh, keeps you inspired, right? Which is amazing. So with the sort of wealth of knowledge that you've gained over those years, what would you say is your area of expertise? I'd say um, I provide solution-focused experiential learning experiences. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, it's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to struggle to say that, but actually. <laughs> <laughs> Experiential learning is a way that goes back to how people actually learn. I don't know if you've had the experience of the difference it makes when you are on your own in your head and when you have a partner to bounce ideas off of and suddenly your ideas double and triple and quadruple. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes advantage of that fact. What it, what it does is you are placed in an experience which puts you slightly outside of your comfort zone, straight where, straight into the stretch zone where the learning happens. Um, so it's still a positive experience, but there is a slight psychological social risk involved. So you feel that there is something in it, like you have to really work on it. Um, either cooperate with someone or just you have a chance to observe your own reactions and others' reactions as well. And after the experience, in groups, you reflect on the experience. So you have a chance to talk about what happened. And I'm sure, again, you have that experience when you do something crazy or exciting, like you jump out of an airplane with a parachute. The first thing you want to do is call your friends like, oh, my God, imagine what happened. Yeah. This is the same principle. Like something happened and you will want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But then the exciting stuff happens. Uh, you start to get feedback from others and talk about your own, something that you notice about your own behavior. And you have a chance to generalize it. Like in this activity, you pulled back and you didn't participate. Is that something that you notice yourself doing in situations? What's the trend? Mm -hmm. What would you rather do? So you move it back to the context of your daily work. Where would it make the biggest difference if you behaved in another way? If, who would notice first that you were doing something else? What's the biggest impact it would have if you looked at it from a different perspective. So that's experiential learning. And I, I work with my clients in a solution-focused 
manner. What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> it comes from solution-focused uh, brief therapy from Inzu Kimberg and Steve DeShazer, who were brilliant family therapists in, in the States. And what they noticed was in kind of collecting thousands of scripts, psychologists working with clients, they wanted to notice how they can get people in the shortest possible time to a, a sustainable change that's taking them towards what they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And they looked at kind of the you know, traditional psychoanalytic questions and what they noticed was anything that was directed to the solution and the preferred future worked. It worked magically. And Steve DeShazer did say that problem talk creates problems, solution talk creates solutions. So it proposes this new way of looking at things where you say that the facts and the analytics belong to the problem and we don't even want to know about that. And we look at the preferred future and that's where we work. Um, This is what makes it possible to do silent coaching where you don't tell me what, where, what the challenge is that we are working on and you can still make huge leaps and bounds in an hour. So what, what's one thing around exponential learning that HR leaders don't know or perhaps aren't doing enough of? This is, these are going to sound very simple and I found that big impact, it usually comes from kind of the most evident inter- interventions um, one of the things is, um, and something I'm, I'm truly fascinated with, is psychological safety. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Project Aristotle. No, what do you mean by, what do you mean by that? Psychological safety is um, a condition where a team allows you to take interpersonal risks, where you are never afraid to be ridiculed, sure. uh, where you can be yourself. And there was a huge... Um, study done by Google actually where they wanted to figure out what makes teams work what makes teams efficient and they found that there are two things um, conversational turn-taking and the balance of that in a in a team scenario is someone dominating the discussion sure uh, or do everyone get a right to kind of speak and the second thing was average social sensitivity and that's your ability to know from nonverbal clues how the other person is feeling. Like I look at your eyes and I can kind of gauge whether you're bored or interested, uh, frustrated, excited. And these two facets are part of psychological safety. And they found where teams have them, there is instant creativity and collaboration and quick, efficient task completion. So one of the things that HR practitioners seem to overlook is the fact that if people are all right, if they feel safe, then they can do anything that is asked of them. Um, And how can we achieve this psychological safety? Again, sorry for being so simple and not giving you the kind of drum-worthy big solution. One is uh, to feel that you are seen that you are noticed, to give that, to, to receive that um, attention mm-hmm. where someone is just listening to you and instead of kind of preparing for, for their turn, they are building on what you're saying. That's one thing. The second thing is to know 
that you have a meaningful contribution. You have a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, when you know that you, your contribution is worth and someone is noticing it and appreciating it, then that's a very important facet of, of feeling psychologically safe. And so first one was um, being seen and then having a, a goal. And the third one is to be part of something, to feel part of something, to connect. And one of the tools to achieve all these three things is to focus on resources. Um, I coach and work with a lot of HI directors around uh, positive feedback. Um, And they say, they come to me saying, but I give a lot of positive feedback. Like I go around and I don't seem to to be doing anything else, but just to say that that's good. That's good. And when I, when I ask how they do it, it turns out that often it's just well done or you're very clever. Yeah. Yes. Um, Thank you for the X team for completing the task, but it's not specific. It's not showing that there was attention. If you give people positive reinforcement, it's very much like Pavlov. The, if I know exactly what was the behavior that you liked, I will want to do more of it because Mm -hmm. it gives me pleasure to please you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if I can give one piece of advice to HR practitioners or anyone working with people is to be very specific when you're giving positive reinforcement or positive feedback. Tell the person, what is it that you noticed that they did and what was the impact for you and the company or the team? Uh, And that gives people a chance to kind of raise awareness of how people contributed to success. There was attention because someone noticed exactly what you did. Exactly. You feel that you're contributing and you know how you're contributing and you feel connected because someone came over and there was human interaction. Mm-hmm. I could certainly relate to myself looking back in my own in my own career I do remember those moments where my CEO or you know my uh, marketing director would come over and give you that well done it always felt a bit forced you know there's never really real you know but why <laughs> well done for what <laughs> and uh, although my CEO was a very charismatic person who would walk around the room thanking everyone and it did it did have a good effect don't get me wrong but it did, did a lot of people did think oh he just says that every day to everyone yeah. um, whereas as you said if if you worked really hard on a specific project and you get a thank you, then it means so much more to you. Um, if they've referenced that and it, and then you, and that's all the motivation you need, right. <laughs> to mm. then do it next time. And you're going to and again, as you said, you're going to continue that type of behavior because you know, that's what's going to get a positive response. So and I've got a, I've got a good example that sounded counterintuitive when I first heard it. And then I thought, that's genius. Um, a very, one of the um, co-working spaces directors uh, in Hungary hired an assistant, the right-hand person, and he needed her to be trained up very quickly and be as independent as possible in the shortest possible time. Um, and the girl was quite new, quite young, her first job, and she wanted to, to be perfect. So she was paralyzed. She didn't, didn't want to make a mistake. Slows um, her down. <laughs> mm, yeah. She didn't take initiative. Mm. So the guy sat her down and, and said, you know, she's, he started noticing the things when she made a mistake from taking initiative and started reinforcing that. It went to the point where they sat down and said, you know, I actually want you to come to me every single time you made a mistake because that's a sign that you're taking initiative. And I'll be very, very proud when you can tell me how you made the mistake. 
So they got, got into the habit of the girl coming to him and saying with a beaming smile, oh, I made a mistake. This is how I did it. Um, and suddenly... It's so refreshing, isn't it? Reinforcement. Um, she became incredibly independent, taking initiative and being very self-reflective about her decisions because she had a platform um, where she could talk about what she was doing and the impact of that. Mm. It's huge. I think uh, it's something that I always do as well to myself and always challenging yourselves to new, hence this podcast, right? Mm. I didn't know if I never tried it, I didn't know if it would fail or not. So I had to try it, right? And you, I think now everyone needs to look at the, you have to keep trying new things to know if it works. So I was like, how, how did you know it was going to work, Chris? I did it. So, and, 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 and you're ready. Most, yeah, exactly. Whereas most people will never do it. Mm. You know, you, you hear the whole um, fail forward, you know, fail forward. And that is literally since I think the moment I heard that, even I was already doing it. Now I make a conscious effort all the time to mm. taste new things, to do new things. Every, and it's so exhilarating. So exhilarating. And, and even when you fail, you, you forget the feeling no longer comes. You know, the, the, fear, the, the, the uh, emotions of failure don't exist anymore because no one, judges on your, no one judges you on your failures. They judge you on your wins, right? Mm. No one remembers the failures. There's so many people that have massive failures, but everyone remembers their wins. But they, they had to make a lot of failures before they got there. So it's about, uh, and not many organizations, you're right, do embrace that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've all experienced it in our careers where, you know, you, you try something new or try to suggest something and someone says, that's not your job. Why are you doing that? Or yeah. why have you come to suggest that? I, had, I certainly had that in, in my career when I'd come to my board with new ideas of like, who are you to offer an idea? You're just a sales guy. <laughs> and literally, literally was it stay in your place. Um, I think that goes straight <laughs> back to what I was describing earlier about psychological safety. If you feel that there is a chance of that happening to you, you never do it again. Reluctant to come yeah. forward with your ideas and you might have the million dollar idea. It's true. Plus you, you come with an idea that might sound stupid and it sparks an idea in someone else mm. and suddenly it's collaboration um, and to mind the collective intelligence becomes higher than the individual intelligences of the two people involved. Yeah, I do that every week now. Every single week we have a, a meeting with a team and the whole entire meeting is around new ideas. How can we do things better? There's terrible ideas. There's great ideas. Some of our best ideas we've had ever come in our organization are through those meetings from the most unlikely of people. <laughs> but, that, but that's what it's about, right? And, and we constantly, constantly do that. And some of the things that have transformed our business completely have come from those type of meetings. But if you don't give people the voice, then, and everyone has their own strengths, right? You know, someone on my team may be very young and sort of just as a new graduate, but he might be very savvy with technology. Absolutely. They can introduce some new software or new systems. Someone could be very creative over here who can create a better website for us. So whatever it may be, um, you have to give people permission um, to, to do that. But unfortunately, that's the problem. Everyone's now is sitting waiting for someone's permission mm. to, to, to be creative and to, to put their ideas forward which is uh, it was just crazy. So very happy that you touched upon that point because it's, it's, it's very, very important. And especially with all the HR leaders that I'm working with, they're now trying to completely shift that mindset in there. When, when it, you know, when they talk about culture, you know, yeah. that, is one of the, <laughs> that is one of the things they're referring to, right? Is that culture of collaboration. Absolutely. Oh, let's, let's actually get marketing and sales talking to each other. Let's get operations and, and, and sales talking to each other, which normally isn't a, <laughs> a normal mix that would go together. So those are the best ideas that can be sparked from that. So could you share one of the um, customer success stories that you're most proud of? Um, that's what I love about 
my job is that every single day is a new success story that <laughs> comes on top of my list of the things that I'm most proud of. But there Good. is one, one story that I think well exemplifies the, the beauty of the simplicity of, of solution-focused um, approach. I was um, called in, um, in in an emergency. It's a big media company um, in Hungary. It's an international company. And the CEO phoned me to say, I need you to come this week because one of our most important groups is falling into pieces. The conflict is palpable. Frustration is peaking. I've got no idea what to do anymore. Come and work your magic. And those are the briefs I love, I love the most. Then you come Good brief. <laughs> you, you've given free hand to do whatever. So um, I had four hours with the team. And uh, when they sat down, um, you could feel that people were, first of all, they weren't sure what they were doing there. And second of all, they were not very much on board. Um, and they were very much isolated in their seats. So we did a task where they had to presuppose about each other so kind of say assumptions out loud um, and you know the other person listened to them with a poker face and after that they could react and half an hour into the session um, I looked around the room and the energy level has changed and body language postures had changed people suddenly started kind of really looking at each other so there was a quick circle of debrief and I was like what has changed um, and they were like, I had no idea that these people knew me, like really knew me. Suddenly, they had the experience that people were paying attention, gathering little clues um, mm -hmm. that when they had to kind of say assumptions about them, those assumptions were spot on. Even when it came to questions that were fairly abstract and made themselves think about what their answers would be. Um, so that was the first thing that kind of was pivotal in opening people up. Sure. Uh, and then what I did, I understood that there was an issue. I didn't really want to kind of get into that. I, I, I'm not much of a kind of, let's look at our navels and talk about what he did and then what she said two weeks ago. So all I asked was in pairs for them to, to think about what it would look like if overnight magic happened. And they walked into the office and suddenly as they entered the, the room, they're picking up from clues that something has changed drastically and it's suddenly much, much, much better. So I asked them to walk each other through the route that they take in the morning from when they kind of wake up to when they get to their seat. And one of the things that they notice that tells them that something has changed. Mm -hmm. So 10 minutes, they start, kind of, you know, you hear this murmur, but the energy is buzzing. And then they come back and, and I ask them to, let's put it together. Let's see if there are widely different things or if they're the same. Um, so people are starting to share. Oh, I walk into the office and then um, the reception, it looks at me. And instead of kind of looking down into her computer, there was a huge beaming smile. And the story keeps going. And suddenly the first pair describes that in this the seating arrangement has changed. Um, the team leader is now sitting in the middle in this open plan office um, between the two teams that she's managing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then others are stopping us saying, it was the same in our vision and it was the same for us. And we also said that the team leader should move. And it turned out that the biggest change would be 
such a small thing. The team leader, if the team leader had moved in the middle, then people would feel that uh, everyone's getting the same amount of attention and she would be approachable. And then we went on and the second thing was, ooh, what if we had breakfast together once a month? And, we, and there were all these crazy ideas of people baking their own blueberry pancakes and then bringing them in. Um, and then they created this preferred future. And as we finished, they looked up and they're like, that would actually be the solution. Exactly. They literally just, you just opened. You if they moved, yeah. that would be it. So <laughs> they're looking at me and I'm like, is that, what, what should I ask that would be helpful now? And they're like, would, would you mind if we just stopped here and went out and saw if the tables can be moved? <laughs> so the team gets up. So already they, they've sold it to themselves in their head of this is a They get out of the room. Exactly. Yeah. They move the tables. The team leader sits in the middle. I come back a month later and everything's fine. Wow. So that's, that's the power of basically focusing on the solution right at the end. And because and, they're now creating the solution themselves rather than you throwing solutions at them, hoping one fits, which is not a normal approach, right? Normally it's like, <laughs> would this work? Would this work? Would this work? And you can go round and round and round. But not only have you created the solution, you, they've also, they've bought into it. They're bought into it now. They've because come up with it. it's their own. Exactly. Their own. And at the same time, you've also created a great dynamic and culture around each other because they're all, oh, we share the same ideas. You also thought that as well. Very, very interesting. That's and you know, I think what is interesting for people who are listening who are HR directors uh, is that the only tool I used was language. <laughs> yeah, asking and, questions. And actually just getting them create reality. And again, Steve DeShazer says, language creates reality rather than just describing it. And if you're aware that once you get people to talk about the reality that they want to have, that becomes their own. And mm -hmm. I told you before we started recording that the brain can't differentiate between past and future memories, which means once you kind of create a memory, you, you start to look around and, and really feel what it would be like when it works perfectly or what would be better for you. Then, then it's stored in your brain and it's going to be comfortable and familiar when you're there. Again, it's just tricking our brain, but mm. such a powerful tool to shift perspectives. I always say to clients, and there has become a big motto, or it was a game changer for me when I realized that there is no objective truth. There are many subjective truths and perceptions. Um, and based on your experiences, how you were brought, everything that you saw from the world, you attach different interpretations to different events in life. Like we are doing the same thing now. We are part of the same podcast, but I bet if I ask you to tell the story of the podcast and you ask <laughs> me, you tell two different stories. It's true. And this is exactly the principle that this takes advantage of. And you can mold a person's perspective so easily. Like those images where it's the same Kind of drawing mm -hmm. some people see a woman and, and, a, yeah. and another person sees an old lady but once you see both you can't unsee them so bringing perspectives together uh, allows different truths to coexist um, and that's a huge tool because instead of saying you're right and you're wrong you're right you're right and i'm right too mm. And, and, they, just, and, and they've come to this conclusion themselves. Exactly. That's so important. Well, that, that's been very, very thought provoking. And I'm sure a lot of our members are definitely going to walk away having a long, hard thought about that. 
I think one of the things that stands out to me most is that that's something that it can be an immediate change. You know, you're not talking about implementing a huge solution that's costing tens of thousands of pounds with, you know, huge long transformations and uh, you're, you're getting people to come up with a solution. So you're also not having that problem of them um, getting on board because which is the heart one of the biggest things i hear every single day yeah. um is because you've made them part of it as well so very very interesting that leads us nicely on to the quick fire round okay. um where i'm going to ask you five questions but you have no longer than 30 questions to, uh, 30 questions sorry 30 <laughs> seconds that would be pretty weird <laughs> 30 seconds to give us some amazing answers are you ready Ooh, how exciting yes yeah what was the number one thing that was holding you back from becoming a leader within your industry fear uh, I didn't. I didn't want to take the leap because I was focusing on what wouldn't work. And then, as soon as I shifted towards what's already there, what can I do more of that already works? You took your own advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry. I definitely know how that feels. Uh, what's uh, the best piece of business advice you've ever received? If something works, do more of it. Fantastic. Um, what's one book that you'd recommend to HR leaders, and why? Uh, Dan and Chip Heath, uh, Switch. It's a brilliant book about change and it describes, it's very accessible and it gives you kind of thought-provoking stories and case studies uh, that will give you more food for thought for change that doesn't require years of planning and implementation, but something you can start doing right now. Great. And uh, could you share one internet resource that you use to increase your knowledge in the area of um, experiential learning? Oh, um, maybe a website or a, 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 a can I, we, can I be rebellious and say when I want to kind of learn more about experiential learning, I go out and do it. <laughs> I just step, step away from my computer and stop looking at internet resources. Yes, good. I like that. No one said that yet. That's a good response. Well done. Actually go and talk to people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, good piece of advice that, um, uh, what's one thing about your business that most excites you today? Oh, HR and conference in Amsterdam. We're going to be, I'm going to be presenting there and it's a huge step and a fantastic opportunity to reach a lot of people and, and give them, you know, mm-hmm. access to information that will allow them to make better, more conscious decisions about the way they approach people and, and their own lives. Fantastic. Well, I suppose that's what, what it's all about, right, for you is sharing that story and sharing that journey with everyone else to, to have that effect on their organization. So that's what we're all in it for at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, you've given us some actionable advice and uh, I know we'll definitely be a lot better for it. So thank you for that. Um, give our listeners one parting piece of guidance and then we'll say goodbye. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, I could give you a lot, but... I think focus on the people and ask yourself what's important for them. Why are they saying what they're saying? If you focus on what's important for people, then you can't go wrong. Fantastic. Um, Guys, make sure you head over to hrdeaders.com. There you'll find all the show notes on the episode, everything we've been talking about and all the resources. Uh, Irma, thank you again for sharing your journey with HR Nation. And uh, I wish you all the best until we next week and I will see you in Amsterdam. So I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks. Bye.